Cause sometimes I be right. Hello. Welcome to the show. Listen, I just want y'all to know you did this. This is you. This is your fault. <laughs> I woke up this morning uh, feeling real mature, feeling real good. Uh, I wanted to come in here and I wanted to be, I wanted to be fair. I wanted to be objective. I wanted to be all love. Honestly, I wanted to be all loving. And uh, you guys ruined it bright and early. <laughs> but let's intro this thing. Welcome, Cyber Family. This is your first time joining us. Welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Favs, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. Aww. I ain't even have a chance to have like my normal pre-show snacks as I load up all my equipment. Nope. We're going right in. So, for those of you who don't know who are living under a rock, uh, I am recording this on Wednesday. You are listening to this on Thursday. Um, so, when I say things like last night, that's what I mean. So, in my world, last night, LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the captain for the number one spot on the list of top scorers in the NBA. All-time list, all-time great stuff. And I, I, I saw the achievement. Uh, I saw the celebration. I saw the responses on social media. I saw the responses post game. I woke up and saw all the posts again. And I felt like, man, what an amazing thing we got to see. That in my lifetime, I was able to see uh, a record that people thought would never be broken or would never be touched get broken. I saw the person who break it. I saw from the moment that they started their career till till they got to this point i remember getting i remember my grandfather getting the issue of sports illustrated that had lebron james on it when i was first introduced to who is this kid that's supposedly the next michael jordan and i remember being a fan at that point i remember thinking it was so cool i remember watching his uh first telecast or the first time his games were broadcast on espn and i remember watching i remember uh seeing all the commentators and uh uh I'm drawing blanks on the names or whatever, but all the, all the big guys at ESPN talk about this kid, this is the kid, this is the kid, this is the one. And I remember being excited. I remember watching it. I remember thinking, wow, like, that dude's pretty good. And then I remember him coming into the league. I remember his first game in Sacramento. I remember staying up, even though I had school in the morning. The games came on at 1030, obviously, because West Coast. I remember staying up. I remember watching it. Um, and I remember just following it. Like, I was on board. Right. I was on it. I was right there. So for me, it was like, man, what an amazing thing we got to see. And it's not even over. Like the journey's not even over. That's that's even more amazing. Like there's still a few more years left, probably, if not more. Right. So my, my thought coming in was, man, I want to talk about how, you know, how great it is, how great LeBron is um, and all this other stuff. And then I I saw it. Um, I saw what I was trying to fight against. <laughs> I saw the conversation I was no longer interested in having. I saw it. And the conversation I'm alluding to, uh, three minutes in, this is a super long uh, intro to a topic. I no longer want to talk about the GOAT conversation as it ref- as it refers to the NBA. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done with it. 
I'm done with the conversation because the reality is whoever you believe the GOAT is is going to be tied to a lot of things that don't necessarily revolve around a strict code of what we constitute as someone being the GOAT. As it stands right now, you have those oddballs who will put someone like a Kobe as the GOAT or put someone like as a Chamberlain as the GOAT or say, well, Bill Russell's the real GOAT. Like there's there's guys, there's there's outliers like that that feel that. But for the most part, the majority of the pie is occupied by people who believe LeBron James is the GOAT or people who believe Michael Jordan is the GOAT. I'm done having the conversation because last night when I saw LeBron do what he did. My first thought was, man, it's really sad that LeBron James will never be credited as a great player because the conversation will always be, is he the GOAT or is he not? And the reality is, is the truth is, is always somewhere in the middle. There is a case for him to be the greatest of all time. And if you want to make that argument, you have things that you can point to to make that argument. If you want to say Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, you have things to make that argument. They're not, it's not a stupid argument. But the reality is, as someone who believes that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, I promise you, their reasons for believing that are not the same as your reasons for believing that it's LeBron. We're talking about two different scales. We're talking about two different eras. We're talking about two different impacts on the world. We're talking about the entire world, the entire scope of the NBA was different at the time that Jordan was reigning, as opposed to what it is now. So I don't feel like the conversation is even a good conversation to have anymore because they they were not the same person. They were not the same player. They did not play in the same NBA and they did not play in the same climate. Social media changed everything. Back at the time that Michael Jordan was in his heyday, speaking out against certain issues, there was a real backlash. You could say there's a backlash now with cancel culture or whatever, but guess what? Cancel culture is going to cancel things that go against the conventional wisdom. And right now, equality, racial racial uh, discrimination, rights, police brutality, all of those issues, if you, if you speak out against those things, that is what the masses agree with. The backlash for LeBron for saying, for standing up or for wearing the hoodie when the Trayvon Martin situation happened is not the same backlash that Michael Jordan would have received if he had done something like that back in, let's say, I don't know, 91. The conversation was different. The conversation was different. The world expected different things from their athletes. The world didn't expect their athletes to be politicians or to speak on politics. Yes, if you would, if you could, that would be really great and really helpful. But it wasn't mandatory. It wasn't necessary. People didn't look at you sideways if you didn't. We only do that now in retrospect because the current players do. And we're like, man, those guys back in the day didn't always do that. And the ones who did were praised for the fact that they did it. But there's a whole lot that didn't. And if the comment that Republicans buy sneakers to wasn't attached to Michael Jordan, nobody would have a problem with the fact that Michael Jordan wasn't outwardly political. But that statement rubbed people the wrong way. If not for that statement, nobody would have a complaint that Michael Jordan wasn't more active with with social justice. They wouldn't have said it. They wouldn't have cared. Right? So my my feeling, my sentiment is, man, it sucks for LeBron because he's always going to be compared to Jordan or the GOAT. And if he's not the GOAT in your eyes, then he's trash. And if he is the GOAT, then that means, like, he's the greatest. And it's like, for me, it's like, well, that's your era now. That's this generation we live in where either you're the best or you're trash. Either you're popping and you're hot 
or you're trash. Either it's lit or it's trash. Like for me, it's like there is a there is a sec there is a middle ground. So what really bugged me was what really set me off in this and got me off of my course was I came in to say that I was done having the goat conversation. Okay. Because I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. I'm not mad at you for believing that. I'm not. I have. I have no problem with LeBron James in terms of as a basketball player. I can recognize his greatness. I think he is an unbelievably great player. I think um, during his time, when his career is over and said and done, I think we will look back on things and say, "Wow, I didn't even realize that." And there will be moments that you say, "Wow, man, that that was a crazy moment, right?" And I that's that will be always be my lasting memory of LeBron James. I don't have to worry about if I think he's the greatest of all time. It doesn't detract from me. I'm also done with the conversation because I feel like it's taken on a stance of in order to uh, boost up LeBron, you must tear down Jordan, and the same in reverse. We must tear down LeBron in order to big up Jordan. We don't have to. We can acknowledge that they're both great. We can acknowledge that they both do different things, though. We can acknowledge that they were asked to do different things. That they came into an NBA that was a different NBA. That they grew up in an era where that what they were growing up and what they were idolizing and what they were chasing was different. And that's fine. That's what I was coming in to say. And then I woke up and I you go on social media like you do, like I said, and I was just scrolling through and just looking at stuff. And uh, a figure popped up on the screen. And the figure was on the left-hand side. It was put up by Bleacher Report. I'm putting y'all on blast. On the left-hand side was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And it said 15... 1,560 career games. On the right-hand side, it was LeBron James and said 1,409 career games. And on the bottom, the caption said, and still counting with the, the king crown. Now, I know exactly what that means, and so do you. It means that LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record in less games than it took Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So what you are doing is you are praising LeBron for his greatness because, look, it took him less games to do it. Look how great he is. He was able to do it in less games. Okay. Uh, cool. But the problem with that is, is are you going to post up that he played more games than Jordan? I got another number for you. LeBron James has played in 1,409 career games. Michael Jordan's played in 1,072. So any accomplishment that LeBron James achieves after 1,072 games, he now has an advantage over Michael Jordan because he's played longer. So who cares if he wins 12 championships if it took him 32 years to get it when a guy was able to get six and only 15? Right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not, saying, I'm not making that argument. But what I'm saying is that makes sense, right? If we're going to praise LeBron for how great he is because he was able to do it in less time, then when you're comparing him to the GOAT, who is widely recognized as Michael Jordan, do you understand that Michael Jordan got, it took LeBron James 1,190 career games to pass Michael Jordan on the scoring list. Michael Jordan got his 32,000 points in 1,072 games. It took LeBron James over 100 more games, and you know how many minutes LeBron plays. So it took him over 100 more games to pass Michael Jordan. LeBron James' greatness is not about his ability to play. It's about his longevity. I did the math. If LeBron James ends up with 45,000 career points, if if an NBA player was able to average 20 points for 30 years, he would pass that number. LeBron James, his greatness, the greatest thing about LeBron James is that he's been unbelievably consistent 
and he's been he's been able to play unbelievably long. He's in year 20, and he's still able to average 27 points with relative ease. Like, it's not a struggle for him. To, like, he's not, his efficiency isn't dipping tremendously over the years. Now, it's dipped a little, but he's still really efficient. He's still getting his buckets. He's still getting his assists. He's still making plays. He's averaging about 27-7-7 for his career. And if you look at every single season, there's small blips, but it's pretty much 27-7-7. He's been unbelievably consistent. That's his greatest superpower. That's the greatest thing of LeBron is how consistent he is. That's why he got this record. Not because he's a great scorer. He's not a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan averaged more points per game, more points per minute, and more points per offensive possession for his team than LeBron James does. In every metric you would look at, it, he's a better scorer than LeBron James. The difference is, is that Michael Jordan didn't have the longevity. Michael Jordan struggled. He, he played 13 years, and at the end of that run in Chicago in year 13, in 98, it was like, eh, he's still Jordan, but it is different. And then when he came back with the Wizards, it wasn't the same guy. And that was for year 14 and 15 after taking two different retirements, a year off, and then taking another couple years off. You could see he he wasn't holding up. So LeBron's superpower really is like, how is it possible that this guy is that committed, focuses that much, gives it his all, puts in all the effort and time he needs to take care of his body and is able to play for 20 years at that level consistently? That is a superpower. That is the greatest aspect of LeBron James and yet here we go we want to use the stat of how how he played less games to get to that number but we don't use the stat of how he played more games to get past Jordan so if you want to say that LeBron's the GOAT you're going to ignore that stat but you're going to use 1409 verse 1560 when you're saying he's all-time leading scorer and it took less games but you're not going to do that when it comes to Jordan so you can't pick and choose So here's what I noticed. There was also a picture online. There was also a picture online that surfaced that is said no phones out versus all phones out. And it was a picture of Michael Jordan's last shot in Utah, the famous last shot photo, right? Game six of the series against Utah in 98. And it shows it's from the behind picture. You're behind Michael Jordan. You can see it. And if you look in the crowd, there's not a single cell phone out. Nobody's got a phone out. Everybody's in the game. They're watching it. And then it showed LeBron's shot last night. And you look in the crowd and every single person has their phone out recording it. And that, to me, prompted me to think, oh, wow, that picture says so much about so much. And one of the biggest things it says to me is the world is different now, man. Back then, nobody said Michael Jordan was great because they were watching films. They were saying he's great because they were living it. Right? Nowadays... I'm willing to say most people, I would say 90% of the people who are who are 30 and under will probably say LeBron James is the greatest player. And I'm not mad at that because that's what you've seen. You grew up with it. You lived it. When you think of Michael Jordan or when you want to relive Michael Jordan, you have to go back and watch it. And it hit me. If you watch Michael Jordan now, it don't, it don't, it don't look as impressive as it did back then. It doesn't look like unbelievable because you saw Vince Carter. Vince Carter got crazy high. He got better hops than Jordan. You saw Tracy McGrady. You saw Allen Iverson. You saw Kobe Bryant. You saw Shaquille O'Neal. You saw LeBron James. You saw 
uh, Ger- even Gerald Green, somebody like Gerald Green who's jumping out of the gym. You've seen guys who are freak athletes now. It don't mean a thing now to see somebody get dunked on. Oh, that happens all the time. Look at John Morant. Look at Derrick Rose when he first came into the league. Those, those level of athletes. So when you go back and watch Jordan, you're like, oh, I've seen athletic guys before. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the highest jumper. He doesn't have the best jump shot. He's not the freak, most freakish athlete. At the time, he was. At the time, he was. But now in 2023, like, look, these athletes are bigger, faster, stronger in every sport across the board. It don't look the same. Watch highlights of Jim Brown and tell me that Jim Brown looks anything like Barry Sanders. It looks it looks different. It just looks different. And so for the younger generation and the younger guys who didn't live it, they don't understand that Michael Jordan was a feeling. You, It felt different. It felt different. It was a certain feeling you had on a Sunday afternoon when you heard that NBA on uh, NBC music and then Michael Jordan was warming up and they was playing. He went out there and had 36 points. It was a it was a thing like I like it was a feeling. It was a feeling when you knew the new Jordan was coming out da, 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 and it was it was in the moment. It's not now where it's the retros. They're putting out the retros when they were like, yo, what's the new Jordan going to look like? Like that was a fi- that was a feeling. When you were a kid and you could go in the Foot Locker and just buy the new the Jordan 13s, like that was a feeling. That same feeling you get when you watch LeBron and say, man, he's unbelievable. I can't believe I'm watching this. That's the feeling we had with Jordan. You didn't live that feeling. So you're trying to compare what you're feeling with what you see. Well, when you look back and look, it don't look this, it don't look as impressive because you see that every day now. Every time you turn on sports on every single night during the NBA season, you're going to see somebody doing some crazy dunk, some crazy windmill, some crazy 360 layup, some crazy shot, some crazy step back there. You're going to see something crazy every single night because these guys are bigger, faster, stronger athletes. It's just the way it is. It's just evolution. But that feeling you get from it is different. There's some people that will tell you like, yeah, Steph Curry's great, but man, Reggie Miller though? Like I remember Reggie Miller Holding up the choke sign despite Glee. I remember how that made me feel, how, how hurt I was. <laughs> As a Knicks fan, I remember Reggie Miller lighting him up. I remember. I remember when Tracy McGrady had like 13 points in 30 seconds or something crazy. I remember watching that, thinking, holy cow. Feelings, man, feelings. The way it feels is different from the way it looks. Nobody thinks Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time simply because look at his numbers. It's because when you watched it, it felt you felt it felt different. You never seen nothing like that before. You never felt no energy like that. You not like unbelievable. Joe Montana doesn't look as great as Patrick Mahomes. When you go back and you watch old quarterbacks, watch Dan Marino. And everyone will say, yo, Dan Marino was, whoo. even look at John Elway. People will say John Elway was a generational talent. Go back and watch highlights of John Elway and tell me that that looks like something you've never seen before. Tell me that you don't go look at Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and all these guys with big power arms, Josh Allen, and say like, oh, yeah, they throw like that too. But back in that time, nobody had an arm like that. He was the first. Terry Bradshaw is another great example of a guy that you go back and look at and say, yo, what? This was the guy that y'all was like. He's all that. And it's like, yeah, but you saying that now after you've got this new generation of athletes where you're seeing greater athletes, but it doesn't take away from what they were doing was also special. 
Joe Montana is no less of a great quarterback because you got Patrick Mahomes who might make it look better or you have Aaron Rodgers who it might look better. Doesn't make him any less great. Tom Brady is actually one of those guys who crossed over. Who Tom Brady in the early 2000s and in the mid 2000s, that's exactly what you want a quarterback to look like. Then these guys with these rocket arms started coming in and then having a massive arm became more and more normal and necessary and mobile quarterbacks. And then the whole boom and like, yo, we need our quarterbacks to be able to move too. And then Tom Brady looked like a dinosaur. And even now, playing last year, Tom Brady looked like lesser of a quarterback than these other guys because these other guys can move. They got big arms. They're incredibly accurate. They're big. Like the, the athlete now is different. And so you could use Tom Brady and say, look, Tom Brady don't look like the greatest of all time. When you watch Tom Brady play, like you don't, you're not really impressed with a throw that he made. But he gets the job done. And he's consistent. And that's what his greatness is. So when you think about, yeah, there's different errors. So it's hard to judge these guys, especially if you have to go back to try to relive it. I lived it. And what I would say is, Michael Jordan never once failed to impress me. Michael Jordan never once came up short in a final series. Never once disappointed. And I rooted like hell against Michael Jordan. I was the biggest Utah Jazz fan in both of those final series. And every single time Jordan came through. Every single time. You never once, no matter how the series went, thought... Jordan should have been better. Never. Never seen him fail like that. Never. Maybe a game. Maybe a half. Maybe he didn't have the best shooting night. But when you look at the series, you could never say Jordan failed in any series he's ever played in. I don't care what happened. We saw that with LeBron. I saw the 2011 finals against the Dallas Mavericks where LeBron had single-digit points in multiple games. Where LeBron fell apart and looked like, I don't know how to play basketball anymore. You can't wipe that under the... If I'm looking at who's the greatest, well, if this guy gave me a feeling, if this guy has numbers to back it up, if this guy has more championships, and then the X factor is this guy, I never saw this guy choke under pressure. Never. I'm going to keep him at the GOAT then. Because in order to surpass that guy, you have to outdo him in all aspects. You can't pick and choose which ones. Now, if that's your favorite, that's fine. But LeBron has failed in multiple instances in the NBA Finals. He got swept in his first NBA Finals. I don't fault all him. He was going against, you know, the Spurs. But, hey, it happened. It happened. Some of those finals losses and finals performances will haunt him. They will be his undoing in terms of if you want to call him the GOAT or not. They will. Whether you like it or not, it, it, it is what it is. I saw both. I saw both guys play. I synced it. You can't take that away. Also, I will say I never once, there was never any doubt or any question that Michael Jordan was individually the best player in the NBA from the moment he walked in. From his very first season, no doubt, never questioned, uncontested, everyone would agree, individually, he was the best player in the NBA. No doubt. The knock on on Michael Jordan was never, is he the best? It was, can he win? Is he able to contribute to a winning team or is he just a one-man show? But no one ever questioned how great he actually was, individually. 
they question if he would be able to contribute to a championship team. There is multiple years in LeBron James' career where there would be questions of who's the best in the NBA. Some people thought it might have been Tim Duncan for a short period of time. Some people said it was Steve Nash. I don't believe that. Some people would say that Shaquille O'Neal was still the best. Some people would say that Kobe Bryant was the best. Like there was there was debates to be had. Even over the course of the last four seasons, there's debates on is LeBron the best or is it Kevin Durant? Should Steph Curry be in the conversation for best in the league? Is Greek Freak the best in the league? Like there's conversations like that happening while LeBron James is still putting up the same numbers he was putting up before. We've already talked about how incredibly consistent he is. Michael, there was never a conversation of who's the best player in the NBA when Michael Jordan was there. It was him. It was Michael Jordan. And not only was he considered the best player, but he was also leading the best team, and he was also winning championships. LeBron James never had that. And LeBron James' heyday it was, I can get to the finals, but my team's not good enough to beat that other one. And we're going to lose to them every time. And if, there, if, there, if there's one last example you want to look at for me to say, look, this is why I'm done with the GOAT conversation because it, it really doesn't matter. When you watch the documentary on the 1992 Dream Team, when you watch that documentary, everything immediately starts to gravitate towards Michael Jordan. No matter what storyline you try to tell, no matter what great players were there, no matter what friction was going on, Michael Jordan rises to the top as being, he was different. He was just different. It was a different star power. It was a different player. It was a different level. He was the guy. When you watch the 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 last dance, and I understand that he had some creative control and he probably made it that way, but no matter what, the most the person you were most interested in was Jordan. You wanted that doc because you wanted to know about Jordan. You wanted to know what's Jordan like? What are his teammates going to say? What was really going on that season? How much are they going to dive into? But you wanted to know about Jordan. When you watch the recent Redeem Team documentary about the Olympic team, when you watch that documentary, who's the documentary about? Who rises to the top in that? Who stands out as being different? It ain't LeBron. He gets overshadowed. It ain't Dwayne Wade. He gets overshadowed. And then Carmelo Anthony, he gets overshadowed. It's Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant comes across as the guy watching that documentary. That was the guy. Everyone, including LeBron, looked up to that guy. He was the guy. And so for me, if you ever needed any other example, just say, look, when it comes down to it, Jordan always stood out as being different, as being greater than, as being unbelievable. LeBron James sometimes is cool with just drifting off into the background. And I think it's funny that the guy whose career was never determined by his individual stats is now being praised for his individual stats. And we are now changing the argument where, listen, to to their credit or their detriment, there are stands on both sides of the argument. But Michael Jordan's stands have always stood toe, 10 toes down, stood right up to 6-0 and in the finals, six finals MVPs. When you can touch that, we can have a conversation. They've always stood on that. 
No matter what, they've always that's always been the nail in the coffin. You can't touch it. You already had two M- M- finals losses before you ever won one, and you had the biggest failure in the finals against the Mavericks. It's over. The conversation is over to some people. To the Jordan stands, it's over. The LeBron stands always say, "Yeah, but it wasn't his fault." And da da da, and it was this and that. And then now, now because you can't get the championships, and I think even the biggest LeBron stand would say. I think it's highly unlikely that he wins two more championships in his career. I think it's highly unlikely. So now what LeBron and his stands have done is now turn their attention to, well, I'm going to have more points, more assists, more rebounds. I have more finals appearances. I have more all-star appearances maybe. I don't know. You're going to go on. You're going to start looking at those individual accomplishments, individual stats to now try to prove why you're the greatest player. And I think it's funny that the guy who was touted as being unselfish, didn't care about stats, is now going to use stats to prove the fact that he's the greatest of all time. Just never forget, man, Jordan fans and Jordan stands, I should say, will always hold on to that 6-0. and And LeBron James will never be able to change that. LeBron James has a losing record in the NBA Finals. He can never change that. Never, unless he wins more. But do you really think he's going to win anymore? I think if you were asking the biggest LeBron James fan, would you bet your house on him winning a championship again in his career or never winning again, I think you would be willing to bet your house on the fact that he'll never win again. Which situation do you think he's going to get into? Unless he goes and rides on someone's coattails and joins a team late in his career where he really don't really do much, but they win a championship and he can say, I got a ring. But I don't think LeBron James would do that because I don't think his pride would let him. So I say <laughs> I say all of that to say, look, I think LeBron James is obviously an all-time great player. I think there have been moments that I've watched LeBron play and I've said, I can't hate. The dude is great. I can't hate on him. I've tried to to watch a game like, hey, that impressive. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. I've watched him score 46 and be like, well, I mean, he could have hit more threes. Like, I've done it. I said he's not that great because look at his free throw percentage. I said he's not that great because look at this. I said he's not the best at any one thing, so he's not really that great. I've done it. I'm done hating. I'm not hating on the guy no more. I acknowledge his greatness. I think what it really comes down to is I was falling into the same trap as a lot of you, which is in order to say LeBron James is great, that means I got to down Jordan. Or to say that Jordan's got if I think Jordan's the GOAT, that means I have to hate on LeBron. If I think LeBron is the GOAT, I have to hate on Jordan. That's the situation we've gotten ourselves into, and I am personally taking myself out of that conversation. I think that both of them are great. I personally prefer Jordan. I personally believe in my heart that Michael Jordan is the better basketball player. I think had they played in their primes, I think Michael Jordan is eating LeBron alive. I think he is going to put pressure on 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 LeBron, and I think Jordan is gonna is gonna crush LeBron in any game they play, mental games, physical games. I think he's beating LeBron in every single aspect. I believe in my heart and soul. You cannot convince me otherwise. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. So that's my belief. That's just what I believe. I think he's the greatest of all time. But it doesn't mean that I think any less of LeBron. I think LeBron is an all-time great player. I think the conversation is there to be had. I think if you, I don't think anyone's going to change their mind on either side of the fence. I think what LeBron James is doing is is a is a marvel in longevity and consistency. I think if you could take anything away from his career, I think that thing should be that just stay consistent, be consistent. 
And anything that you do, be consistent, and you can end up being the greatest of all time. Put your head down, do the work, take it day by day, invest the time, effort, and energy into doing that every single day. Keep going, keep going, keep going, and one day you're going to look up and you're going to be great. I think that's what we could take away from him, and I think that's what I'm choosing to walk away with when it comes to LeBron. 30 minutes on LeBron. Wow. I didn't expect that. I'll be honest with y'all. I wasn't expecting to do that. But I'm glad I got it out of my system. Now let's move on to some other news. So I want to I want to actually quickly touch on uh there's been an update in boxing and the Ryan Garcia Tank Davis fight uh, apparently is in jeopardy of not happening and the reason being is uh some issues with uh, a rematch clause. Now everybody knows if you know boxing, you know fighting, most contracts will have a rematch clause in the contract, which basically says if the A side loses, they have an opportunity, they can initiate or activate an immediate rematch clause, which means the very next fight that either fighter has is a rematch that is con- contracted, agreed upon, and they do it. Sometimes in the contract, they will put if the B side loses, he has the opportunity to get a rematch and he is deserving of a rematch, right? So you just have put it in there. If, if we fight, no matter what happens, either one of us can activate a rematch clause. Most guys will fight for that when you're on two high levels. And that's one of those things where if you lose, everybody, if any fighter at a high level would feel like if I lost, give me a chance to run it back. I know that I could beat this guy. Especially if you've been in there for 12 rounds with the guy, you feel like there's something you walk away with thinking, ah, if I did this, I probably would have won, right? So we understand why there's an issue with the rematch, or why there is a request for the rematch clause, correct? All right, we're all on the same page. Well, what apparently is happening is Tank Davis and his representatives are saying, number one, we want unilateral control over the rematch clause, which means Tank Davis, if he wins does not have to do a rematch with Ryan Garcia. There only can be a rematch if Tank says so, which means if Tank loses, he can exercise an immediate rematch clause. If Ryan Garcia loses, he can ask for a rematch, but Tank has the right to say, nope, I'm moving on with my life. You had your shot. See you later. Now, my ears go up when I hear that, and I say, well, hold on now. Why would that be? Why would you not be willing to give the dude, uh, put that in the rematch clause, if you want to fight this guy so bad, and if you think you could beat this guy, why wouldn't you say, listen, in order to get to the fight done, put it in there. We'll figure that out. We'll work. We'll deal with that later. Now, I'm not saying he's afraid to fight Ryan Garcia. I'm not saying he wouldn't want to do it again because he thinks he would lose this second time. I'm not saying none of that. But what I'm saying is if this fight was your utmost priority, why are you worrying about a rematch before the fight even happened? Put it in there. Be willing to fight him. If you go in there and you knock him out in the first round, yeah, let's do it again and whatever. I ain't even really get to fight you the first time. And if you go in there and you lose, you're going to exercise your rematch clause anyway. So if you beat him, what are the chances of him coming back and beating you? Why Why did you beat him? How did you beat him? Because we all know if Tank Davis beats Ryan Garcia, it's probably not on the scorecards. It's probably going to be via a knockout. So if you really want the fight to happen, put it in there and deal with it later. Like, it's not a big deal. But the second part of it, which is probably, in my opinion, probably even more of an issue for Ryan Garcia's team, is that Tank's team is saying, if a rematch happens, we again control the promotion. Which means Tank is signed with PBC, 
and they are running the promotion. PBC and Showtime are running the promotion for this fight. If it happens this year, they would be the ones hosting and doing all that stuff. Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy are saying, yo, but if we beat you in that fight, if Ryan Garcia wins and you exercise a rematch, well, now we host it. And now we get the benefit of saying, now we're the A-side. And Tank's team is saying, nope, no matter what, even if we do a rematch, Tank's still the A-side, still getting the bulk of the money, still running the promotion, still getting all of that benefit, and that's just what it's going to have to be. Agree to it or don't. Now, here's what sucks. Ryan Garcia don't care about none of that. Everything that he's said and done up until this point will give you the indication and let you know he just wants to fight Tank Davis. For whatever reason, he wants to fight that guy. He believes that he knows something that no one else knows, that he can do something that no one else can do, and he is itching for that fight. He don't want no tune-ups. He don't want no other fight. This is what he wants. Tank Davis, on the other hand, seems like he's trying to do business. Like, nah, I'm not really interested. And the problem with that is Oscar De La Hoya has to ultimately do what's in the best interest of his fighter long-term, not just what he wants for this fight right now. So I could see Oscar De La Hoya saying, no, this fight is off the table. We're not doing it. Because that's asking for a lot. You want unilateral control of a rematch and you want to ho- you want to have control over the promotion and the gate and the finances and 80-20 split on that too? Both? Even if you lost? Even if you lost and you lost your belts and you're no longer the guy and now you're coming to fight the champion, now you're the challenger, you still want to be treated like the champion? That's not how it works. I wouldn't be mad at, at De La Hoya for saying I can't do that deal. I wouldn't be mad at it at all. I would understand it. I'm not mad at Tank Davis for wanting that. I think it's a little bit... I think it's one of those things that's like, if that can hold up the fight, then I think you need to let that go. Because this fight is too important to boxing as a whole. It's too important to the sport. It's too important to the sport for you to sit there and say, I need... Like to do those little that for me that sounds like a real petty thing to fight over in a contract. So that fight is in jeopardy. My expert opinion, I don't think the fight happens. And I think when it finally does happen, I think all of the excitement and and and, and joy and interest in that fight will be pretty much going at the time they end up doing it. Kind of like a Mayweather Pacquiao, where you were kind of you were just hoping that after so long that those two guys would get in there. And it would just be special. That they would just go all out and they would just, and it wasn't. It looked like two old guys past their prime fighting. So, for me, I hope that this doesn't, that this doesn't really actually hold up the fight. I hope they go through with it. I hope the fight happens. That That's my hope, but, you know, who knows. I, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting the fight doesn't happen. This is boxing. They always do stupid stuff like this all the time. So, uh, late last week, um, Kyrie Irving uh, requested a trade. Apparently, they were he was trying to work on an extension with the Nets. The Nets had basically made it clear, like, ah, we're not really, we don't really want to give you a long term deal. I don't blame him. Since he's come to the Nets, it's been one issue after another. I'm not saying that he's a bad guy. I'm not saying he's a bad teammate. I'm not saying he's causing problems. I'm just saying he's been involved in one thing after another, after another, after another, and they're not winning on the court. So either he's been unavailable due to injury, 
He's been unavailable because he just wasn't really feeling it right now. He's been unavailable because he wasn't getting vaccinated. He's been unavailable because he got suspended for his issue with the anti-Semitic stuff. Whatever it is, like he hasn't contributed to you being a winning basketball team since the moment you signed him in free agency. So why would you sign up for like four or five more years of this and pay him that much money? You know me. I'm the guy who says, if I'm not winning with you, then I'll save my money and win without you and not win without you. I don't need you to be here for us to lose. We can lose without you. And I'm not going to pay you $40 million a year to lose. I could save $40 million a year and still lose. Like, all right, at least I'll do that. At least I'll be like, I have the money to try to get better. I'm not stuck. So he got traded to the Mavericks. Now, this story for me is interesting on two fronts. Number one, let's just talk about Kyrie Irving going to the Mavericks in general. I don't think this is going to work at all. I don't think it's going to work at all. I think this situation is going to be a lot like Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. Where on paper, whoa, you got two really good players and this guy, that's going to be great. And then when you're like, when you think about it, well, hold on a second. The big knock on Luka is usage rate, right? Like, he has the ball all the time. There's a lot of times where he'll just dribble, 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 step back three. There's a lot of times where maybe he's not getting guys involved quite as much as he could. There's a lot of times where he's doing it all. And some people say, well, if he didn't have to do it all, they'd be much better. But does he want to have someone else do it? Is he okay with doing it all? They said the same thing to me about LeBron. LeBron has to carry the team. LeBron has to do everything. LeBron has to bring the ball up. He has to rebound. He has to do everything. Da, 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 da. And then anytime he's ever been in a position where they got players around him that could do more, he still did the same thing. That's just the way he plays. Luka needs the ball to be his best. He does. I don't believe Luka could be an off-ball guard. I don't. I don't think he's a catch-and-shoot guy. I don't. I think he's a rhythm shooter. I think he needs to have the ball. I think he needs to take his step back dribble. I think he needs to do his gather. I don't think he's going to be a Clay Thompson stand on the side and shoot threes. I don't think he can do that. That's the only reason why Clay Thompson and, and Steph Curry work. It's because Clay Thompson doesn't need to have the ball. He, he's a great catch and shoot guy. That's what he's good at. That's what he likes to do. He don't need to bring the ball. Bring the ball if you want to. I don't care. Drive to the basket. I don't care. I'll be right here. Pass it to me when you're ready. I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> That's how he plays. Luka doesn't play that way. Luka needs the ball. Luka likes having the ball. And so does Kyrie. Kyrie's not a great off-ball player either. That's the problem that there was with him and LeBron, is that they would have to take turns. Well, luckily for them, in the finals against the Warriors, it worked out perfect. They were able to take turns, and they were dominant, and they were both going off, and it was great. But I don't think Luka wants to play that way, and Luka's also really young. And Kyrie's also like older and kind of either wants to win it or wants to do something special or whatever and is not really looking to take a back seat. I don't see how this works. I'm going to just say now, if it does, great. I would love, I mean, it'd be fun. It'd be fun if he can get back on track and get back to just playing basketball and not have any other stuff going on and just be able to play and it look good and Luca looks good and everything's fun and oh my God, here we go. It would be awesome. I'm rooting for him. Parts of me like Kyrie, parts of me like that he's like trying to be thoughtful and trying to be deep. And, uh, <laughs> but like other parts of me are like, come on, man, you got You still have to stay focused on your bread and butter. The other stuff is cool, but the other stuff, nobody's listening to you if you're not performing in this area that we know you for. Right. Like it's very hard to to do that, to do both. Like very few people can do both. 
So I don't think it's going to work. And that's that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is, as soon as the trade happened, rumors were coming out that Kevin Durant may also request a trade. Right? Now, why this is so interesting to me is because Kevin Durant is 100% stuck. Because Kevin Durant cares too much about what the national media or the public thinks about what he's been able to do or what he's done. He hated the fact that when he went to Golden State and won two championships and was finals MVP, that no one really looked at it as this solidifies you as a GOAT. They basically said, yeah, that's cool. Like, he's really good still. But those, I mean, he went with the Warriors, though. They were 73 and 9 the year before he got there. Like, he went to a loaded team and then, like, just fell in line and just continued what they had already been doing. People probably would have picked him to get back to the finals, even if Durant wasn't on the team. So, for a lot of people, those championships don't really mean a lot. And there's a lot of former players, Charles Barkley being one of them, who feels like they don't mean a lot. I think Shaq also said, like, you didn't drive the bus. It's different when it's on you to drive the bus. And that's what they're saying about the Nets. Like, it's on you to be the catalyst for everything. Not to be able to feed off of a system or energy or another great player. When it's you on when it's your responsibility to be that great player, what are you gonna do with it? But he's trapped because he went to Brooklyn to be the guy. I don't know if that was his intention, but he went there with, you know, Kyrie and they were gonna be the guy. They were gonna be the the tandem that was gonna take over the Knicks, right? They were going to be New York's team and they were going to be threats in the East and win championships and how many championships can they win and this was a solid team and now you're getting these two players and da 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 And now look at it. It's not it's not that is. It didn't turn out that way. So now if he leaves, if he demands a trade and tries to go to another team, if that team's any good, they're going to say, here we go. It's the same thing that happened in Golden State. You were in OKC with a good team. You ran into Golden State. They beat you. You were a free agent and said, you know what? I'm going to go play for that team because I can't win here. So let me go to a team that I can win with and win a championship. And then you left that team to go to Brooklyn to say, well, I'm going to do it on my own now. Now that I got these chips, now I got that monkey off my back, I'm going to go make it happen on my own as the guy. And now that's not working out. You're saying, well, I can't win here, so let me go to another team where I can win. And then you're right back in the same situation you were in when you went to Golden State. You'll get the same level of hate. You'll always be questioned for your ability to do it or your ability to want to fight through and stick it out for your resilience. You'll always be questioned for that. And I think for that reason, like he can't go nowhere. He has to stay in Brooklyn, even though it's a crap situation. That's what you get. <laughs> As a Knicks fan... When you laughed off the Knicks, like nobody's really thinking about going to the Knicks. After doing all that, you spent the whole season in, in Golden State le- listening to rumors, letting rumors fly, never putting nothing to bed, never saying, nah, that's not going to happen, nah, where you getting, nothing, kind of fanning the flames, and then chose Brooklyn, and then laughed it off, like, I never told y'all I was going to the Knicks, right? Who wants to go to the Knicks? That's what you get. Now, the Knicks look like the place had you gone to the Knicks, and you were on that team now, oh, you might be making some noise. But you were Brooklyn. And now your partner is leaving. Gone. Now it's just you. Who's the second best player on that team? Ain't very good. Ain't as good as Jalen Brunson. 
So maybe maybe come to the Knicks. <laughs> I'll still take Durant on the Knicks. I would love that. Give it to RJ Barrett. You can play the three, brother. <laughs> Put you right in at the three. Seven foot tall. You ain't playing no four no five. You playing right there at the three. Right? I put uh Yeah, man. Play right there at the three. I don't care. Anyway, man. Look, I was gonna um I was gonna come in here and talk about uh the draft quarterbacks. I got through all of the quarterbacks watching film on all them, grading them, rating them, all that stuff, who I like, who I don't like. But honestly, uh I didn't bring my notebook to Trash Can Studios. <laughs> so I don't have my notes. So I'm going to hold off on that to next week. Plus, we already like 50 minutes in, 40 minutes, something like that. Like, yeah, we, we, you know, we can get out of here. And no, I did not forget the Super Bowl. I did not forget the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is on Sunday. Oh, you know what? Let's talk about the Pro Bowl real quick. So I'll be honest with you. I completely missed all of the Pro Bowl festivities. I watched the uh, the quarterback challenge after the fact. I thought that was pretty cool. Stuff like that is fun for me. Because you get to see guys do things that's like, just show you their skill. Like, we know you're the, we, we voted you as the best of the best, and we just want to see you do what your skill is. So that was cool. I didn't watch the dodgeball. I didn't watch any of those other things. Uh, the only other, I watched a few minutes of the actual, oh, no, I didn't. I didn't watch it. Never mind. I watched highlights. <laughs> I watched the highlight of, uh, some of the the flag football game and to me that's what it should be no i i you if you guys aren't gonna play hard and hit each other in the off season and make it seem like it me it don't mean nothing then just go out there and have fun and play and be silly and goofy um i that 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 to me is is the just the best you can hope for if you're the nfl is what they did this weekend is that's the best you can hope for for a pro bowl um because i think people can have fun with it uh, I think the next thing would do would, to do is maybe to have some auctions where you can have some like uh, you can have fans like try to uh, uh, buy a spot to be able to go one on one with certain players. Do you know what I mean? Like receiver groups or like um, catch routes from a, a quarterback or something like that. Like little things like that. You could probably start getting fans involved, um, raising money for different charities, things like that. Like stuff that people would you could you could kind of start doing things in that area in my mind is where i think they could go with it but i think they did a pretty good job with it i think it was fun i think it looked laid back and relaxed i think guys seem to enjoy it more than putting on all that equipment and running around pretending like we're actually going to play football and we're not it looks aesthetically better um so i think i think they hit a home run with that one i think they probably will make some adjustments each year and try to add some things or take some things away and try to figure that part out but overall i thought it was pretty good and that's going to carry us into this Super Bowl Sunday, which is officially the end of the NFL season. And that's when officially draft talk begins and offseason stuff begins. Um, I actually have to uh, look into like upcoming free agents and stuff and who's going to be out there and who might be moving and what shakeups we might get. But let's get let's get through this game first. Um, I have to make a pick, right? I guess I have to make a pick in the Super Bowl. Here, here's my pick. I'm picking the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. I am going to be rooting for the Chiefs. I will not lie to you. I hate the Eagles. I hate everything about them. Uh, but I I feel like they're going to win 
because I think there is what they want to do is clear cut. It's defined. It is not dependent on any person or anything. They want to pressure the quarterback and they want to run the ball. I don't think Kansas City has a good enough defense to stop Philadelphia over and over and over and over if their offense isn't putting up points. The the path for the Eagles to win a Super Bowl is run the ball, control the clock, eat up yards, score points, go play defense, blitz the hell out of that quarterback, make him rush, make him panic, get a couple stops, score points, and then you build up a lead, and now they have to pass it, and now it's just jailbreak on that quarterback. That's their route to get there. That's possible. We've seen them do it multiple times this year. The Chiefs, on the other hand, their path to victory is score points early, score points often, and put the pressure on Philadelphia to have to throw the ball to play catch-up and then hope that Jalen Hurts can't beat you through the air. Make them one-dimensional. But their defense is just, their defensive line is going to put pressure on Mahomes all night long. So you're not going to be able to just freely go out there and put up a bunch of points. You're not going to be able to have those long extended drives where it's just little plays here, little plays here. And trust me, they are going to double and triple team Kelsey. And are the rest of your receivers coming along, are they going to be healthy? Are they going to be ready to go? Because if not, Philadelphia has good enough corners to guard your fourth, fifth, and sixth options. Those guys aren't going to have a good day against my starters when you're playing your reserves, guys you called up from the, from the practice squad, if your number one, two, and three isn't healthy to go. And even if they're not 100%, but they're like 40%, 50%, 60%, that's still not good enough to beat that secondary. Especially when you're talking about you only have two to three seconds, if that, to make a decision and get the ball out before that D-line is on you. So for me, I just say the path to who who is going to win is clear. It's an easier path for the Eagles. What they need to do is what they already do anyway. That's what they already do. That's what they've been doing. That's what their system has been the entire year. They just have to do that. The Chiefs have to hope that they can hold up against that. And I don't think they will. So for that reason, I'm taking the uh I'm taking the Eagles. And I'm taking the Eagles. I don't have a score. I'm not gonna give you a score. I don't think it'll be that high. Uh, what's the over under? I guess I gotta pick the spread, right? Oh, we can't we can't break tradition. If I've been picking against the spread, then I guess I have to do it for the Super Bowl as well. So let me let me pull this up and let me see. Uh I feel like there's oh, there is a fly in here. My bad, y'all. I got a little bit. I got distracted. <laughs> I got a fly flying around. Um Man, uh so let me see, what is the line? So as of right now, the Eagles are favored by one and a half. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take the Eagles minus one and a half. Yeah, I'll do that. But as far as um, ESPN's analytics on the matchup predictor, it's about a 50-50 matchup. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, and their top two receivers and Tony and uh, Juju, they're both questionable. The over-under is 51. Hmm. 51. I'm going under. I'll take Eagles by one and a half, and I'll take the under. 
Yeah. I'll do that. That makes sense to me. I like that. I like the sound of that. I just think that the um look, if you look at it, man, points per game. The Chiefs are at 29, the Eagles are at 28. Points allowed. Chiefs at 20, Eagles at 7. Total yards, they're about 20 yards difference. Passing yards is the biggest difference. Rushing yards is a big difference going the other way. Yards allowed is the big difference. Passing yards allowed is a big difference. Rushing yards allowed is a little bit of a less difference. But again, that like I said, that Eagles defensive line is the real deal. They are the real deal, man. They get pressure on the quarterback, and I think they'll do the same against Mahomes. And for that reason, I'm taking the Eagles uh, to cover the one and a half, and I'm choosing the under of 51 points. I think it's going to be pretty low scoring. I think it's going to be tight for a while, and I think we might get a couple points later, but I think... I think the Eagles are going to be running the ball and eating up clock and having extended drives to where it's going to shorten the game a little bit and probably be one of the least entertaining Super Bowls in the last couple of years is my bet, is my guess. So, whatever. That's my time, y'all. Look, appreciate you coming through again for another week, another episode. I know this week we uh, spent a lot of time on LeBron, but look, it's well-deserved. Uh, he, 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 King James, king of this era uh, One of the greatest of all time Congratulations to him uh, Congratulations to all the LeBron James fans For you guys being validated For you guys having something to celebrate For you guys looking at it and saying Wow, this is my guy For the people that got emotional watching it Crying, good for you Congratulations to you <laughs> I sound like I'm hating But I swear I'm not I'm not hating I like LeBron James as a basketball player I think he's great I think he's one of the greatest of all time And that's where I want to leave it I don't want to have the GOAT argument with anybody anymore But if you hit me up on social media At cyber underscore pod That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D I will 100% argue with you about it If you want to <laughs> I'm always willing to argue Even though I'm not going to be the one to come in here And start the argument Again, follow me on all social media, cyber underscore pod, that's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. Uh, follow, hit me up in the comments, let's go back and forth, join the cyber family. Um, this year is going to be really big, back on track, we're, we're putting up some, some really cool things. Uh, I, I encourage you all to join the cyber family, join the community, let's get these things going, let's have these fun talks, these conversations back and forth. Until next week, I bid you adieu.